0: Thank you, everyone, for uh, dropping by. It is Sunday, the 30th of September, 2007. And thanks to the people who are buying On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, available at freedomainradio.com, and those people who wish to get 14 hours of high-quality philosophical conversations, where it's not just me talking, but me and three hand puppets. There is the downloadable version. Uh, The reason that it's downloadable is 700 megs of audio files, 14 hours of high-quality conversation from the Freedomain Radio barbecue. I think that you'll really enjoy it, particularly if you feel like it's important to have earrings. Anyway, so um, uh, I hope that you will download that. It's 17 bucks just to pay for bandwidth and uh, the time to put them together. And last but not least, on the 18th and 19th of January 2008 in Miami, the Freedom in Radio Symposium, Christine and I will be leading talks and occasionally listening. So uh, I hope that you can join it. That's 125 bucks only. We'll meet for dinner, though we won't pay for dinner because I am the cheapest man in the universe. And then... We will have a full day of philosophical chatty stuff on uh, Saturday. And uh, I think we'll be maybe doing breakfast on Sunday if people are still around. So I hope that you'll be able to join us for that. Just let me know, s.molyneux at rogers.com. All right. So here, this is from my favorite Canadian magazine, uh, McLean's. Uh, and the reason that I think this is interesting, and I've talked about this McLean's stuff, Canada is pre- considered to be a pretty peaceful country, and in many ways it really is but uh, it's something that I talk about in um, the new book on UPB, which is going through its third draft at the moment, and Christina is diligently putting together a logic tree to see if it all fits together. This is from October the 8th, 2007, so it's actually from the future? I guess so, it's from the future. Jeez, I should look up the stock prices. A soldier becomes a target. This is interesting because this is a uh, peaceful or pacifist country that is proud of its peacekeeping role, ...in the world. A soldier becomes a target. is the title of the article. The subtitle is... ...The victim of a hazing in Afghanistan... ...seeks redress in the courts. And there's a picture of the guy... ...with headphones on... ...the sort of big army headphones. And he's uh, sitting in front of a gun. And the caption underneath says... ...Glenn Brownhall... ...his case could set a precedent... ...for those who have been deliberately harmed... ...by the military... Deliberately harmed by the military. (laughs) I mean, we could just take a moment here to enjoy this. Deliberately harmed by the military. The story is basically that this guy went to uh, Afghanistan, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he was hazed. So it says here, officially, Glenn Brownhall served three years in the Canadian Army. He enlisted in April 2002 and was released in April 2005. But if you ask him when his career truly ended... He can pinpoint the precise date. November the 24th, 2003. I love the job, he says now, sitting in his backyard in Barrie, Ontario. I miss it all the time. If this had not happened, I would still be there. Brown Hall was assaulted by two fellow soldiers during his one and only deployment to Afghanistan. The incident was never publicized, but both his assailants were later court-martialed, fined $1,000, and in one case, (gasps) sentenced to 10 days of house arrest. Of house arrest, ladies and gentlemen. House arrest. Brownhall barely knew his attack as he had been flown into theater halfway through the tour and assigned to a unit of strangers. I heard someone say, let's fuck the new guy, he recalls. There was a whole group of people from my section there, and they were laughing their heads off. The next thing I knew, I've got my head rammed into the side of the tent, catching punches. He was kicked, slapped, and choked. At one point, his comrades pinned him to the ground and dry-humped him from behind, which is actually, I think, at hour 12 of the Freedom Main Radio Barbecue audio tapes. So Private Brownhall recorded the hazings to his superiors, but that only led to more harassment, he says. One warrant officer allegedly called him a narc and a little girl and warned him in no uncertain terms not to approach the military police. From the get-go, it was, Glenn, shut up, Brownhall says. Within days, the entire Canadian camp and cable was hearing rumors about this big mouth whiner who tattled on his section. I was afraid, the 31-year-old guy says. When everyone else came back in patrol, they could go to bed and feel fairly safe in the camp. I stopped sleeping, and for a long time, I stopped eating. Brownhall asked the brass to send him home, but instead they merely transferred him to job-to-job to job until the tour was over. He essentially spent three months looking over his shoulder. They kept me there and mentally tortured me, injured from the beating, unemployed, and suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Brownhall is now suing the federal government for damages well i mean where do you even begin where do you even begin with something like this it is absolutely completely and totally mental uh, where do you even start i mean that you could sue that you could sue the government for being deliberately hurt by the military deliberately harmed by the military unless i miss my guess it would seem to me that that would be the entire point of the military that the entire point of the military would be to inflict harm upon other people. And it be rather amazing that you could sue somebody for uh, harming you in the military. Uh, that's sort of the point. So that uh, is quite amazing. The fact that when one soldier attacks another soldier, it's called assault, and it's a sueable offense. And uh, if you shoot an Afghani, then uh, it's not that at all, right? I mean, the amount of contradictions and mess, and and it's just absolutely staggering, and people say this, and people can actually write a caption to say that you can sue the government for being deliberately harmed by the military. They can say that with a completely straight face. It is absolutely, completely, and totally mental the way that people view this kind of stuff. The other thing that I would like to mention is I did go and see, fool that I am, I did go and see the movie The Kingdom, with Jamie Fox and Jennifer Garner from Alias, which is a show that I quite enjoyed. I must say that it is really amazing to me what they can do technically in films, and I had the same sort of feeling or idea when I saw Children of Men. It really is astounding what they can do technically with films. I mean, they can do the most amazing blow-ups on the road, they can do the most amazing combat scenes, they can just technically this... Not even counting CGI, I'm just talking the sound effects and where they can put the cameras and the quality of what can be recorded and produced on film. I mean, it's very visceral, it's very exciting, and of course, it is so fundamentally empty. That, of course, is the part that is so disappointing about sort of films these days. I sort of thought, I didn't read any reviews beforehand, I thought it was more of a thriller uh, about, about these guys who go to Saudi Arabia to investigate a crime. And I thought it was going to be a sort of cultural cat and mouse game and, go, and so on. And there's a little bit of that. There's a huge amount of exposition. And there's the cool guy, right? Jamie Foxx does cool guy on steroids. So there's the cool guy who was always in glasses and who was always vaguely sneering, but always have a, has a soft side. Like, oh, he loves his kid. So there's the cool guy. There's the cool hot chick. There's the, uh, the yappy sidekick. There's the, you know, the older Fisher guy. And it's all just a bunch of cliches and uh, even the stuff that's in Saudi Arabia, though I think this was actually shot in Saudi Arabia. is also a cliché. And uh, the last half of the film is literally just the most nonsensical stuff and not going to give away anything in particular other than to say that it really just gives people the most distorted view. They They can make combat so visceral and realistic, but it gives people the most distorted view of combat that you can imagine. And it's exactly the same as it was back in the days of John Wayne And this sort of nonsense where, you know, the the one guy would be in the middle of the uh, square and the bad guys would be in windows and hidden and on rooftops and so on. And they'd all open up on him and he'd dive to one side and he'd pick them off one by one. And I mean, I'm, I'm no military expert, but I have to tell you that militarily, I think that the technical term for you being caught in the open in a courtyard with people on the roof and in windows with rocket launchers and all that, I think the technical term is you're fucked. You're completely and totally screwed. And, uh, of course, in this movie, the Americans are caught in a square. Their car is blown up. There are people all around them, all the way around them, in windows, on roofs, with rocket launchers. And, of course, the Americans, you know, pick them off one by one. And there's this view that combat is sort of an exchange of gunfire. Like, you sort of point up and shoot, and then he points up and shoots, and you always get to seem to pick him off. And it's all just such complete nonsense if you are stuck in that situation where you're ringed by people who've got automatic weapons and rocket launchers, you are toast. You are completely and totally toast. And yet, of course, the Americans get out without a scratch after taking down 50 Arabs. I mean, (laughs) it's all just the most errant nonsense. Again, very visceral. Technically, the films are absolutely brilliant. But my God, the content is just so ridiculously empty. And they do try for a bit of a sort of universal statement at the end, which I won't sort of get into, but... Uh, it really is a, uh, a real disappointment, and it's been, a, it's been a while since I've seen a movie. And again, I, sort of, I thought that the Alias shows were on TV were quite entertaining. It was, uh, it was a fun sort of cartoony kind of show. Uh, but this stuff was aiming for a lot more realism. Like, it's just completely mad how they portray these things and what they, um, what they put forward. And of course, this kind of stuff does give, pe- give people the idea that the military is something fun and exciting and that you have a chance in impossible situations. Of course, the military fact, and this is sort of fairly indisputable, the military fact is that all other things being equal, you're going to kill each other at roughly the same rate. I mean, the Battle of Britain, which I've talked about before, uh, there's no hidden reserves of valor or patriotism or anything like that that makes one force better than another. I mean, yes, if you herd a whole bunch of people who don't want to fight up against a whole bunch of people fighting for their lives, there may be a certain amount of... Of, of change or, or, or unbalance. But, you know, most most things being equal, if you're facing off against a guy with a machine gun, you've got a 50-50 chance. Throughout most of the wars in history, the people killed each other, unless there was significant technological advantage, like the longbow at Agent, and so on, uh, or the nuclear weapons in Japan. Unless there was a significant technological advantage, it's pretty much one for one, right? It's pretty much a one-for-one situation. And, of course, the reason the Battle of Britain was different was because England was outproducing Germany at the time, had lots of aid from America, but most importantly, by the time the uh, the German, particularly the Messerschmitts 109s, had flown over from France, they were low on fuel and could not do the same kind of maneuverability and had to head back, whereas England was fighting with a home advantage. They had less distance fly. So... This idea that, you know, a few small men and women can take on this, this force and, and win, I mean, it's all just such nonsense. When you're in a war, everybody wants to win, everybody wants to live, and everybody wants to kill you, and they all do so with roughly equivalent kinds of skill. There are certain situations where that can be different. For instance, there were some uh, particular aces in World War II, and of course everybody knows about the Red Baron in World War I, uh, who fought, I think, the Canadian uh, ace Snoopy. Uh, But uh, these are sort of unusual, and, of course, these are just also bell curve situations. Uh, Your odds of getting killed in any particular dogfight are about the same when you start, but if you just happen to not get killed, you get lucky a whole bunch of times, then you develop a certain set of skills which make you more formidable, and you get a reputation which makes you more formidable, and so on. But the odds for every average person in a war are about the same, and that's not something that's ever really mentioned. You do see some of that in Saving Private Ryan, but... uh, it's just something that, that is not really portrayed in movies, that, you know, you're going to get wiped out in even numbers, and particularly if you're in a vulnerable situation, like is portrayed in The Kingdom. You're just not coming out of it at all. Well, I'm not hearing too much, so <laughs> I won't bother to keep going if we're not going to talk. All right, there's a few people who wanted to be added. I can absolutely do that, but uh, if you would like to unmute yourself and ask a question or make a comment, that would be excellent.
1: Okay, um, so I was wondering how you came to the conclusion that piercings is such touch for self-mutilation? Because, I mean, I know, I've never heard that before, and I heard it from you, and I think you're the only person who's really said that. So I was just wondering how you came to that conclusion.
0: Well, it's just putting the two words together, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's a physical assault upon your own flesh. Um, for non-medical reasons, right? So if you go in and have surgery, then you are obviously uh, uh, assaulting your flesh for medical reasons. But um, if you are uh, attacking yourself, right, causing uh, enduring pain and uh, causing uh, uh, sort of wounds within your own body for the sake of adornment, uh, or for any sake other than than medical, then uh, uh, clearly it is... um, uh, it is uh, self-mutilation, right? I mean, you're, you're harming your own physicality for the sake of non-medical reasons.
1: But is it wrong to adorn yourself in other ways? Because, I mean, like, someone wearing a necklace that's too tight might hurt, and are you going to call that self-mutilation, or is it just if you probe a hole in yourself it becomes well, I've
0: got a sort of new policy with people who quibble on this kind of stuff because this is exactly the same thing that I went through with the prostitution debate and with the drugs debate and with the free will debate and so on, right? What happens is when people get upset by something that I say, what they do is they start quibbling and picking at stuff. So instead of getting into all that, because for me comparing a tongue piercing with a necklace is just something I can't take seriously. So why don't you tell me what bothers you about what it is that I say?
1: Well, I mean, I just, I never thought of it like that. I just always thought that it was just something someone could do to make, I mean, if they wanted to do it to make themselves look different and stuff like that. I didn't think of it as um, anything bad, really. You
0: know what I mean? Well, sure, but I mean, what reasons do you have? See, I gave some reasons for what it is that I and what reasons yeah. do you have for what you believe?
1: I mean, I don't really know. I've been trying to work through it, and I just can't get through why I think that. I just know I do. Uh, Probably because I have
0: them. Right. Um, Well, let's run through a little experiment, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, Tell me a little bit about your childhood.
1: Um.
0: Well, what do you want to know? Well, um, what were your parents like? What was your upbringing like? Uh, Were you loved? Were you cared for? Were you understood? Were you dealt treated with respect and empathy? You know that kind of stuff.
1: Um, I mean, we have had conversations about that before, about my mom and such. Uh, not really so much on her part. My dad is a little bit better, but like you said, there's no good parent, bad parent. Both of them have to be pretty bad for one of them to be bad. So, um, I would say on most of those, not too well taken care of.
0: Right, and uh, all I'm simply working on is, is two particular correlations, and you can sort of let me know what you think. The first is that while not everybody who's had a bad childhood ends up um, uh, carving into their flesh various adornments or you know, putting holes in themselves or whatever, not everybody who comes from a bad childhood self-mutilates, but there is nobody who self-mutilates who comes from a happy childhood or even a reasonably happy childhood. That's sort of the first thing. The second thing is that we know that there is a psychological problem or a psychological uh, manifestation of a problem called self-mutilization, self-mutilation, sorry, which is where you cut yourself or you push pins into the soft part of your thumb or you, and people do this because they are dissociated, because they can't feel and they panic. And they also start to get off on the endorphins that are released. It's the closest they get to psychological happiness is the endorphins that are released during self-inflicted pain, right? So, if we put these two things together that there's nobody I've ever met who's got uh, tattoos and piercings who comes from a happy uh, background and the fact that we know that people who come from abusive backgrounds sometimes have the characteristic of self mutilation then we put these two things together and uh, clearly there's no medical reason to get piercings or tattoos. Clearly... You are uh, saying something pretty substantial about yourself when you get these things. You're putting a whole bunch of stuff on display about yourself. And uh, clearly, it's it's a form of very shallow vanity as well, right? Because you say, well, it makes them look different. But why is it that you want to look different? Why can't you just be different, right? Rather than, than have to put it... To me, it's it's akin to plastic surgery. I consider plastic surgery, unless it's restorative, to also be a kind of self-mutilation as well, right? And uh, it, the question is, like, when I look at a woman who's got hyperinflated boobs, then uh, clearly that's um, it's low self-esteem, right? It's, 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 uh, it's a form of vanity. Because, like, you can be a, a good enough person without, you know, de-cup breasts that look like, I don't know, two beach balls in an <laughs> umbrella. But uh, you, you, you can be that you can be who you are without the external adornment so i view people who go for extremes in external adornment or reconstructive uh, sorry or or plastic surgery it's just a form of low self-esteem and it advertises that i think pretty pretty clearly well i mean
1: where do you draw the line though like because i know a lot of girls have
0: piercings but
1: like just in their ears like is that bad or like where do you draw the line with that you know what i mean
0: well, I don't, I don't care really. Like, I, and I don't really care about that discussion, because that's like saying, you know, how old is a child exactly when they become an adult? Well, I don't know. I'd, I mean, I would certainly be happy if my daughter didn't pierce her ears, right? But if she did, I would say she's immediately a self-mutilator. But there is a difference, of course, between somebody who's got their ears pierced when they're ten and have earrings that fit and so on, and it doesn't hurt anymore, and it, it's not a permanent wounds, right, because it can be, uh, they can heal over, right, some, that, that's sort of one thing, well, I don't consider that to be any kind of extreme self-mutilation, and then there's people with like uh, 15 eye hooks in their eyes, and tongue piercings, and nipple piercings, and testicle piercings, and all this kind of stuff, right, Clip piercings, and so on, that's that's clearly mutated, as far as self-image, self-esteem, and, and so on goes, right, so it doesn't really matter where you draw the line, but we do have to recognize that there are extremes, and, truly, really, of course, it's just more unusual for, uh, for men to um, adorn themselves in this way, at least in our culture.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, all right, that's about all I had on that.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, uh, I am certainly happy to move on to whoever next may have, uh, uh, and I don't find it attractive, I think earrings can be nice, but I don't think that earrings need to, uh, need to be pierced. You can get some good clip-ons and so on. But uh, I don't think that piercings at all are attractive. And uh, it's an advertisement, as, as I talked about on the um, FDR stuff. It is kind of like a, a, um, an advertisement for this kind of stuff. So, yeah, somebody said here clip-on earrings are like push-up bras. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, interesting. All right, so was there anyone else who wanted to chime in on this? Hi, Steph. Yes. Um,
2: Can I uh, ask you a question about a different topic? You sure can. Um, I have a friend who is um, suffering from a long – she's been having insomnia for quite a while. And I've, and I've heard before in your podcast that you've also suffered from a prolonged period of insomnia. So I was wondering, what, um, what advice should I you know, tell her to, you know if she wants to get this resolved? Like, what do you think could be some of the reasons?
0: Well, first I'll start with the cure, which for me was Chippendales and Quaaludes, but we can come back to that uh, a little bit later. The cause for me uh, with insomnia was a high degree of divergence between my professed values and my lived values, right? So I was all about integrity and virtue and philosophy in the abstract, although I hadn't worked out, uh, this is long before Freedom Aid Radio, about, I guess, seven or eight years before Freedom Aid Radio. So I hadn't worked out uh, the stateless society or the real-time relationship or the argument for morality or UPB or any of that. I hadn't worked out any of that stuff. So I was basically just interested in ideas and philosophy and red economics and so on. And I was all about the virtue, right? I was all about being a good guy and and being virtuous and being strong and being brave and being noble. But at the same time, I was involved, as I've mentioned, in some pretty corrupt business practices that I was profiting heavily from and in business with people that I knew were not good uh, people, all the stuff that I've talked about in The God of Atheists. So um, when when I really began to profit from my capacity to corrupt other people or to self-corrupt, then my ideals clashed uh, in a way that I didn't understand at all at the time. I just thought I was stressed, right? But my ideals clashed with what I, how I was actually living and the hypocrisy gap opened up to the point where I just didn't like myself anymore. I mean, the most fundamental thing, I'm not saying this is true about your friend, I'm just sort of talking about my own experience. I just didn't like myself anymore and I could not respect myself anymore. I could not get up shave and look in the mirror and be happy about who I was. And I couldn't admit that to myself because I was greedy, right? I mean, when you are exploited, as I was as a child, there is this latent want to get your own back on the world, right? This is, of course, the root of a lot of criminality, both white-collar and blue-collar and worse. So when you're exploited heavily as a child, there's there's a part of you that wants to get the world back that feels that you're owed something. And I went through a very nihilistic period of shoplifting and petty criminality when I was in my early teens. And there's a great deal of cynicism about the world and and how it sort of claims to care about the children, but nobody actually does anything and so on, right? So uh, I think that for me, I was sliding into that, you know, the corruption that gave me that sense of entitlement, like I've been taken from and nobody cared, so I'm just going to take from people and I don't care, clashed with my values to the point where I was living a really hypocritical life and not being honest with myself at all. And uh, I just stopped being able to sleep. And uh, after a couple of months of that, I was going insane. And I went into therapy and, and sort of plunged into the black night of the soul that awaits all people uh, who begin to really try to live their values. So that was sort of what it was for me. Does any of that sort of ring true in terms of what you might think about with your friend?
2: Well, uh, she's been mentioning that she's, um, you know been having these recurring dreams. Um, and that probably, you know, disrupts her sleep. So, I was just wondering, perhaps, maybe, um, you know, what are some of the things she should probably consider to resolve this issue she has? Like, what would be the next steps to take?
0: Well, can you tell me a little bit about her?
2: Um, in terms of.
0: Uh, is, okay, she relationship? Relationship? Uh, is she is she is she a happy person? Uh, what's what's what are her values like? Uh, what are her ethics?
2: Oh, uh, she's in a relationship. I'm pretty sure she's in a. Um, no, she's a happy person, and, she, and she's in a relationship.
0: Well, no, she's uh, not a happy person. I mean, I'm sorry to to be okay. so blunt. She's not a happy person. If she's going through insomnia, uh, and she's uh, being interrupted by her sleep is being interrupted by recurring dreams that I'm assuming are not very good dreams, right?
2: Um, well, yeah, that, that's probably right. But, um, you know, I was wondering perhaps if you thought that maybe therapy would be, you know, the next step to take or, you know, just because it's been so prolonged and that it's affecting her sleep so much and that, that she wants to get this resolved, um, you know, as soon as possible.
0: Well, let's, let's just back up for a second, right? So she presents herself as a happy person, right? I mean, I assume you're not completely insane and making things up, right? So she presents herself as a happy person, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But she's not. Well,
2: she she seems to me to be a happy
0: person. Okay.
2: Like I mean, I could you know you know ask her specifically how, you know how she feels, but my guess would be she's a happy person.
0: Okay. But she's not. Not again. Not not to be too blunt about it, but if she's having insomnia and she's having recurring bad dreams, then she she can't be a happy person, right? I mean, I'm not saying she's, like, fundamentally miserable and and blah, 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 right? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But she she can't be a happy person. I mean, at this moment, right now, right, because she's obviously troubled deeply by something. Again, I'm assuming that there's no medical reason and she's, you know, whatever, right? Mm
2: Right. No, I, I see what you're saying.
0: So, um, so th- that's, I think there's, there's sort of an issue, right, with that. And it's nothing particularly terrible or anything, but it is sort of an issue that she's presenting herself as a happy person. She's telling you that there are some indications that she's really not happy, but that is not real to you in a way, if that makes sense.
2: Um, Well, you know, I mean, there's times when, um, you know, probably, you know, what you're saying would probably be right, that, you know, that there's times when, you know, she might show that, you know, she's not being, you know, happy all the time. Right. But, um, yeah, so... um, so, you, so you, yeah, I mean, it would pr- probably, uh, I mean, there could be all these different, um, you know, reasons for this. Um, so, like I said, I was just trying to wonder what would be, like I said, uh, the, the next steps to take, I mean, if she wanted to get this resolved.
0: Well, of course, therapy would be helpful, of course, right? But uh, my my question is where you are in this, right? Because I, I can't talk to her. I can only talk to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like you're not taking... Her evident distress too too seriously, and you may be right, or it's just sort of what I'm sort of thinking while while looking into it, right? So, so you say she's got sort of recurring nightmares and she can't sleep and so on, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So you say she's happy. Um, yeah, I, I would think so. Well, what do you mean you would think so? I mean, sorry, well, I, to, I'm just sorry to be annoying here, but I just kind of want to understand what is it that makes you think she's happy? Uh, well, you know,
2: she. Uh, she's you know very optimistic um you know in her life um you know I'm, I'm not in the person's head so i can't know for sure but just my
0: general impression would be that she's happy and so would you say there has been any change in her happiness since she stopped being able to sleep
2: um well i guess it it you know it might affect her throughout the day um you know her because, it, you know, it has all these you know, different aspects when I mean, you're not able to sleep. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how, because, you know, I, I don't, um, you know, live with her. So I don't know how, you know, how, how, how uh, prominent has been the change. But I do know that, you know, she has been having this insomnia for a while. And um, like I said, my general impression is that she is, she's is happy.
0: Okay, that was an excellent non-answer. Uh, so <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll just, I'll just ask it again in a slightly different way. Have you ever had insomnia? Uh, me? Not really. I
2: mean, you know, once, you know, maybe uh, three times during a year, I, I might not be able to sleep for the night, but mm, I wouldn't call it insomnia.
0: Right, okay. Um, would you say that she is as happy a person? Because there may be no problem right? There may be no mm-hmm. problem. She may be really happy to have insomnia. Maybe she really gets a lot of stuff done in the middle of the night, or maybe something's changed in her physiology that she needs less sleep. So
2: mm-hmm. what I
0: trying to understand is, if she's happy, then there's no problem, right? Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, the uh, the toll that, you know, when
2: you can't sleep, it has on you for the rest of the day.
0: I mean, well, but you so said she's happy, right? Um, yeah, I think- what is, I would guess so. I, I, that's what I would, I would assume. But it doesn't sound like you know your friend very well. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on you or anything. Like, it just sounds like I, you, you don't really know her very well. And so I'm a little confused. No, I know, I know her pretty well. But you don't know but, if she's happy or not. Or you I, don't know if, if her insomnia is having any effect on her happiness.
2: Right. I, I wouldn't be able to know if that if that has an effect on her happiness. I mean, it could be that there could be other reasons you know, that could be, um, you know, causing the insomnia. But, um, like I said, I wanted to know, because you've had experience with insomnia before, um, I wanted to know if you had any suggestions that I could tell her for a way to cure this, because, you know, she's been talking to me, talking to me about it, and she's been mentioning that, you know, it's been, you know, uh, real hard on her, having, having, you know, this
0: insomnia. Okay, so here's a piece of information that we can sort of put into the, the question of, is she happy, right? That the insomnia is really hard on her, and how long she had it for?
2: Um, I would say, oh, probably, um, probably, like, for, a f- um, you know, a few years. A few years? On, well, going on and off. Okay. I mean, not, not so, totally.
0: Seriously, I yeah. mean, again, not to, not to pick on you, right, but, but it seems that, that you're not quite connecting with your friend uh, at, at an empathetic level, right? Have you asked her if, if it's a big problem for her?
2: I did, yeah. She mentioned that, um, you know, that it has had a toll on her, the insomnia. Because, you know, when you don't sleep, it can affect you.
0: Look, I, I, I'm with you, brother. I'm just trying to understand where you are, right? Uh-huh. So she has told you that it is like a minor inconvenience, like I can't believe I forgot my keys again, or it's really no, me, no, or something, I'm feeling...
2: Like I said, it's something that, you know, that can, it, you know, it makes her, you know, tired throughout the day and stuff like that. Um, and you know when when I speak to her about it, she, you know she will mention, oh, you know that she's been having you know trouble sleeping and stuff like that. Um, so I was just wondering, you know,
3: what
2: you know. You no, know, I understand be-
0: that you so- want to know, but but what I'm what I'm concerned about is that you're trying to help somebody when you don't even understand the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So so my suggestion would be, yeah, I mean, I think that she should she should go to therapy. She should you know figure out family issues. She should figure out any place where she's not living in a way that makes her feel proud to be who she is, where she feels strong and courageous and so on, right? All of those things would be fantastic. But I mm-hmm. think you need to ask her, how are you doing with this insomnia? Like, like lay it on me, you know, give me the, give me the full scoop, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Because
0: if you think she's happy, then there's nothing to fix. If you right. think she's happy and she's really not unhappy, then you're not a close enough friend to help her. Mm-hmm. Right then, she's less than an acquaintance. Like I can tell when my grocer is unhappy. Like seriously, yeah. Right. You, you probably hear some of these listener conversations with the people who sound a little bit like, Ugh. you know, like, they're depressed, and you can tell right away. Right. 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 So, so my my concern is, I think that you do know whether she's happy or not. I think that for some reason, though, you don't feel comfortable with her being unhappy.
1: I,
2: I sorry, I don't feel comfortable with. What was that last part?
0: You don't feel comfortable with her being unhappy, right? Because she's a close enough friend that you're calling in to a show and you're asking about insomnia, right? Right. You don't know whether she's happy or not. Well,
2: like I said, I, I, you know, I, I'm not in the person's... I, I don't know what the person's thinking, but just my general impression uh, would be that she is um, happy.
0: Right. And so I would say that you're not a close enough friend to help her with this, right? Because if you don't know the degree to which the insomnia is affecting her. And she doesn't have to tell you this. You should be able to... How long have you known this person for?
2: Oh, a long time. pretty, much, pretty Right, so
0: time. you should be able to get this person's mood like without them even opening their mouth. You should be able to like, snap, get it, understand it, get right to the root of it. And often, we know what people are feeling even before they do, right? Because we have the, the benefit of being outside, right? They've got all the unconscious defenses or whatever. Right, so this is why I'm sort of... Um, right? Either you you do know and you're not comfortable with it for some reason, whether she's happy or unhappy, or you don't know, in which case it seems to me completely bizarre that you'd know someone for years and not know whether they're happy or not. Mm-hmm. And so the thing to do is to just ask her, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: How is this really affecting you? Tell me what's going on. Like, tell me what's going on in your life. I mean, how are you feeling when you get up in the morning and you haven't slept? I mean... Do you feel despair over this because recurrent issue? I mean, sleep deprivation is used as a torture technique, right? You know that, right? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that. Right. So, I mean, if she was getting her fingernails pulled out a couple of times a month, she probably wouldn't be very happy, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's another form of uh, of torture, right? So, I think that uh, before going to her with advice, it's it's and the reason I'm I'm pestering you, and I do apologize for it. The reason that I'm pestering you about this is that if you try to help people without really getting in their skin, you don't help them. <laughs> right? And women in particular, and let me put on my ultra-sexist hat for a moment, women in particular absolutely hate it when men come to them with a solution when they haven't empathized with the problem. And so I would suggest that you really work to get inside this woman's head and get inside this woman's skin if you want to help her, right? right. Then empathize with her and really understand what's going on for her. Because anyone can say, go see a therapist. Right? I mean, I could call her out of the blue, say, go see a therapist and just hang up, right? But if you mm-hmm. do care about this woman, and I believe that you do, and you do mm-hmm. want to help her with this, then you don't want to just bungee in and say, hey, go to a therapist. I talked to some guy who had insomnia. He went to a therapist and he was great. That's not going to help her, right? Like if she's out of sorts with herself, what she needs is, is empathy and some TLC in order to build up the relationship to the point where she'll listen to you about going to therapy if that makes sense. right? And I'm, I mean, annoyingly enough, I mean I am sort of trying to get you in a position where you can help this woman, but I think that uh, you need to have more sensitivity and empathy to where she is and know where she is first before saying where she should go.
2: Mm-hmm. and like you said to try to find out um you know her her level of happiness or how happy she is she is currently
0: well i think that's important right i mean if you've known her for some time and you don't know that stuff already which yeah. i mean i am I'm absolutely convinced that you do right but for right now you don't have access to that knowledge for some reason right
2: well, the thing is, like, you know, happy is a relative term, right? I mean, how do, you, how do you draw a line to say, you know, this person's happy, or, you know, how do you really know when someone's happy? I mean, I guess that's my problem, you know, with an- answering the question.
0: Well, but this is the same as the other questions that we get, right, which I'm not going to have as much patience with as I used to, right? You heard me talking to the guy about his, um, the tattoos thing, right? Like, is a necklace yeah. a, is self-mutilation and so on, right? Yes, mm-hmm. there may be times where it's complicated to figure out whether someone uh, is, uh, is perfectly happy or not, or to what degree of happiness, blah, blah, blah. But um, nonetheless, we still know the difference between a happy person and an unhappy person. Like, I can't tell you down to the tenth decimal place exactly how healthy I am, but I know that I don't have leukemia, right? Mm-hmm. So has this been like a totally annoying conversation to you and completely unhelpful? Or no, no,
2: no. It's been useful. Yeah, no, certainly.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you care about somebody to really want to help them, then I, I just find that the best thing to do is keep asking them questions until you really get a sense of where they are. Right. Because if she doesn't feel any particular distress, then mm-hmm. she's not going to go to a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. It's like say, going up to a marathon runner who's healthy and saying, you really need chemotherapy. You'd be like, what? What are you, crazy? I'm healthy as a horse, right? So you need to figure out whether somebody's happy or not before you start suggesting something like, you know, therapy or whatever. Right. All right, well, was there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about with regards to this?
2: Uh, no, no, I think that, you know, it was pretty, um, you know, you know that it was pretty clear. I mean, just, you know, talk to her, CEO, happy she is, and, you know, try to, you know, ask her questions about it. And then, um you know, and then, then you you know, probably suggest that you know the therapy option that, that it might help,
0: yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure, but I mean again if uh, if you don't if, yeah, for sure, I would just just keep asking her and, and try not to get uh pushed off by I'm fine, you know, everything's great, whatever, right, Because obviously she puts forward a pretty happy uh kind of persona, right, and and uh, if if she's not happy, but she's putting forward a happy persona, then that is exactly what. Uh, the the kind of stuff that I was talking about before in terms of having a real difference between your values and how you're actually living. Right. Okay, well, uh, thank you uh, very much. I appreciate that. Uh, It's a very interesting question. Um, There is, of course, a a lot of medical stuff that almost needs to be checked out with regards to this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, thank you so much. So uh, I will be more than happy to move on to the next person who might have. Thank you very much. Uh, the floor is open. Uh, Ricky says, can I talk? I would absolutely say yes. I've seen you do it.
5: Uh, what's up, Stefan? Can you hear me? What's up? Not too much. Hey, uh, I, I have a question for you. Um, is cutting your nails... Wait, wait, self wait, mutilation
0: wait, wait, wait. Briefs. No, sorry, what was the question?
5: Is cutting your nails uh, self-mutilation... I'm just is kidding. cutting your nails um, self mutilation?
0: I would say that cutting <laughs> self mutilation, but cutting your hair is because it mutilates uh, okay. a Baldness.
5: <laughs> baldness is good though.
0: Yeah, um, I did. Uh,
5: about the piercing thing, um, I, I don't think some people are gonna have access to the conversation that we had uh, at breakfast that one day. But what you're telling me about the uh, what you put out physically isn't you know what you're gonna get back. I think that helped a lot of people trying to figure out um, whether what they're doing with the, you know their physical appearance is working for them or not, whether it's a good or bad thing you know for them.
0: Sure. I do know. you want to uh, do you want to give a bit of a, a sort of synopsis of that? Uh, I thought it was a great conversation. Do you do you want to give a bit of a synopsis of that uh, conversation and what you got out of it?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I was telling you about how I had gotten my ears pierced and I wasn't sure why, but um, after that conversation, I was, (laughs) I was telling you how I was, uh, meeting girls, and meeting people in general who were, uh, uh, man, just to give you examples, uh, you know, girls who believe in fairies, uh, Wiccans, um, just really new agey kind of, of stuff, and (laughs) my, my physical appearance for sure was that kind of resemblance that, uh, and that's definitely what I was putting out and that's definitely what I was getting back and uh, and it was because I had never I had never changed my outward appearance when I started changing um, the way I thought about things and changing my actions I never updated what I was putting out and and I, I suppose that's why I was getting a kind of uh, getting uncomfortable with my physical appearance, why I was questioning it, why I brought it up to you, and uh, was kind of wanting to know why I was having maybe a little anxiety about it, and uh, so, yeah, I think, I think uh, like, a lot of the people on the board were talking about how most of their social groups were people who dressed and looked exactly like them, you know, uh, when you have, you know, a, your clique with... Your friends who all have piercings all have tattoos all engage in the same kind of behavior it kind it's kind of like a tribal thing like a, like a fitting into you know it doesn't it doesn't just end with personality uh, uh, similarities it goes into the physical appearance and um, and it's very tribal and I, I think that's uh I don't know something to keep in mind with it and i've been I've been actually a lot, lot happier since i it was on. <laughs> I have to send you a picture because it was really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I I got rid of a lot of clothes, and uh, I actually I took them to uh, this store where you can basically sell your clothes, and they give you um they, they give they compensate you by getting a discount on all the new clothes they have. Right. And and so I I did that, and it was odd. It was really weird, and it was some you know someone uncomfortable and uh but it's actually it's kind of a nice a nice feeling it's um no i was just gonna say that i have a hard time explaining the the discomfort with it it was um i felt odd when i would go out and i don't know if it was because i was just just completely not used to it you know for years of being you know dressing the same way and uh but I mean, the earrings was was easy. I took those out, and I haven't even thought about those, but it was mostly it was mostly my style of dress that that kind of threw me off the past few weeks and um and i it's weird I haven't had any problems with uh <laughs> with meeting anybody that was off the deep end as far as crazy beliefs go and um, and it's not like I've changed my, you know, my behavior at all. Uh, I just, I don't attract that. And I mean, it's only been a few weeks, but it, it's looking that way already. So I can give you a, another update, you know, a month or two from now. But it seems like, it, it's, you know, the, the hypothesis is holding true.
0: Well, I think that's uh, right. I mean, I think that, uh, as we talked about, I mean, you, you put out signals when you, when you present yourself. My particular approach to, to dress is that it should not interfere. Your clothing and your, your appearance should not interfere with your true self-communication to, to another human being. That's sort of my basic philosophy of clothing. So, I mean, if I show up in a toga, you know, to, to the free domain Radio barbecue, then people are going to say, like, what the fuck is he doing in a toga? And for God's sake, could he not put on some underpants or something like that, Right. Uh, but it would really interfere, right? So people would would walk in and they'd say, "Oh my God, this is the crazy guy I've been donating money to, or whatever." I drove all this way to come and meet this guy who's in a toga, or if I was in a uh, some sort of Wiccan uniform, or right, uh, had a fez on and a thong or something like. It would be it would be interfering. You would you would need to process that and try to understand why I was making a choice to present myself in that manner. Similarly, if I did every one of my podcasts in a three-piece suit, uh, you know, with a fresh manicure and, you know, a freshly buffed forehead or something, right? I look like a glossy bowling ball of thought or something. If I did all of my podcasts in a three-piece suit in a very, very formal setting, then that would be another way that people would perceive me and it would, I think, it would interfere, right? So when I do my podcasts on the, on the show, like the videos, I try to dress in a neutral manner, so that people can focus on the eye contact, the the verbal and, and uh, nonverbal communication that's coming through YouTube so that they can connect with the thoughts, so they can connect with the ideas. I don't want to be in any clothing that is going to distract people from the communication that is occurring between us. And that's sort of, I think, dress as neutral as you can that is appropriate to the situation so that people don't have to do a double take. Uh, there was a... Um, friend of christina's had a party uh, a little while back and her boyfriend was there and he was dressed in a, a black satin shirt and some pretty tight trousers with this sort of cross stitching up the side and he was not he was not a young man and there was some good old middle-aged muffin top happening there and he had a little leather waistcoat on and so when he walked by it was just like what <laughs> it turned out that they just they were at the renaissance fair uh, which is you know some medieval thing during the day but And so once I understood that, it's was like, oh, okay, so they just came from this medieval fair or whatever, right? But other than that, I'd be like, well, why would he make this choice to present himself in this way? It's, it's distracting from the person because the clothes, you have to puzzle something out about the clothing in order to get to the person. Whereas if you dress in a more neutral kind of way, a, a bland and boring kind of way, I think, that's my particular approach, uh, then uh, you can connect with the person, but it's vulnerable to do that because if you don't have any adornment, you're saying... There's nothing that I'm going to do to be eye-catching. There's nothing that I'm going to do to get your attention, right? Because if you're really heavily adorned in one way or another, that's just going to attract false self people, right? Because the false self is a kind of adornment. Say, just me presented in a simple manner is... uh, I have the confidence to do that. And that's going to attract to you, I think, more confident people. But tell me a little bit more what you felt when you went out uh, without the uh, regular get-up.
5: Oh, it was... uh I went out and I went to dinner and um and to do some reading. And at first it it's true it it doesn't feel like your physical appearance is doing the um is doing the uh the talking for you so to speak. Um right. and even when I went went I went to class and that was weird because uh everyone was kind of I guess used to the way I dressed before, and I <laughs> and I had come to class. It was a 180 appearance, and I actually got into a conversation with them about that because uh, they had actually asked me about it. Um, and one girl had mentioned that I looked different, and uh, I told her I took my earrings out, and um, you know, because <laughs> I guess I did kind of had I, I had a somewhat um, obvious style of dress and and I it's much plainer now uh and so yeah it spurred on some conversation and I got to talk about it and uh, and I, I guess it was, ni- it was nice kind of being able to talk about it with people who noticed it, it gave me some feedback with it um and it, I, I suppose it was nice not having my clothes doing the communicating for me that way uh I felt more in control um that makes any sense. I, I no, there wasn't a conflict. I uh, and so, but the the it it was uncomfortable because I don't know. It, I don't know if it was because uh, I was just so used to the way I looked all the time, uh, or if it was because um, the newness of it, or. I'm still wondering about that, but it's not as bad anymore. It, it feel, it's getting more, uh, it's becoming more comfortable every day. And, and I notice my, my aesthetic preference, I guess, for clothes is starting to change too. I don't, uh, if I go out and I need to pick up some clothes, I'm not, it feels a little nicer not it, being so picky, not um, putting so much emphasis or focus on, on what I want to buy uh and it's been it's been quite an experience i'm I'm really glad I brought it up with you, and i'm I, I'm glad I got some answers for it, and I'm glad I, I did something about it because uh I do feel much better. Um, but yeah, the discomfort I, I still can't I, I knew it was going to happen because I, when I was sitting there talking with you, I, I could pr- picture myself being very uncomfortable, and, and it was like that. And it kind of still is, but it's getting uh, it's it's improving a lot. But it's it's nice at the same time, so you know, I I, I don't feel conflicted at all. And um, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Greg. I'm a preppy now. <laughs> it's not preppy. It's mostly it's mostly plain. I don't none of the shirts I bought are collared or anything. I bought some uh, button-up shirts that do have collars that are kind of. Nice, and I bought some normal, not metrosexual either. <laughs> and uh, I bought some like plain kind of colored T-shirts, and um, and I got rid of my jeans that had holes in them because I think all I, I all I had were jeans with holes in them. <laughs> and so I uh, I bought some normal normal pants, and um, yeah, it's been it's been different but uh, I'm just going with it. I'm anxious to see uh, how much better it works out as far as uh, my social life goes because my social life was not working. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, so sorry about that. Uh, this was um, Ricky doing something to me that is unspeakable. Uh, <laughs> there will be... Uh... Uh, okay, so that was uh, that was that topic. I think that uh, if you want to get more information on that conversation, you're going to have to buy, lay down your cold hard cash for the Free Domain Radio Barbecue Weekend. We had all of that on uh, uh, on uh, on tape, and so um, uh, so that would be uh, that would be the thing to do. So uh, I'm not going to answer anymore about that. So uh, who's up next? Who wishes to speak? Who wishes to chat? Hello.
3: Hello. This is, uh, well, I'm on as Obnosis Jones, but uh, my name is Paul, and I'm uh, in Southern California. I just added my name to the map that's been building.
0: I thought I'd answered that thread before, but
3: I can't find my original post.
0: I think there was one before. I don't know what happened to it, then. Well, I noticed that the the most
3: recent entries are, are very recent vintage, so I reposted again. And I think that's an excellent idea to have, uh, have such a map. Because um, I think the people living in the same geographic area might have some
0: opportunity to maybe get together. Actually, uh, it was mostly just a, more a, a listener who's roving called Greg uh, to have places to stay. But I guess it could also be used for social networking as well, which is nice.
3: Uh, he's got a spare bedroom here if he ever wants to stop by for that's a while. That's very kind.
0: Now, uh, just be aware. Uh, he moves in, he repaints, and he will, in fact, impregnate many of your pets. So this is just something to to remember. Well, our pets are neutered, so uh, have at it. It's uh, amazing! It's you. amazing what he can do. It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ag- e- <clears throat> try that again. Eagerly
3: awaiting the release of your new book on UPB, and uh, I have several plans for it. Uh, One, a rather uh, ambitious one, uh, having to do with getting a hold of a uh, a talk show host out here who claims to be all about the morals and the values, and who has always maintained that there is no way short of religion to have an ethical value system. And it would be interesting to catch him at one of his frequent live appearances with a copy of your book and
0: say, do you have the balls to debate this guy? You might want to say it nicer, but I certainly do appreciate the, get him up against the wall. Do you have the ball? So that's my job. But no, I I would love to debate somebody because, of course, um, as I sort of argue in the book, and I'm not giving away anything too much right here, but uh, the the two fantasies um, are that we need gods and governments to be moral. But the reality, of course, is that since gods and governments are subjective fantasies, that's like saying we can only be moral in our dreams, right? Because it's completely subjective and, and random and, and made up and inflicted, of course, right? So uh, the, the, if, the, if it's only religion that can give you morality, then morality is impossible. And if it's only governments that can enforce and inflict morality on you, then morality is impossible. So I would not only say, well, yes, there's this religious way to get morality, but here's a better one, which is secular. I would say that there is only a way to get uh, knowledge about morality that is secular and rational. But you can't learn about the solar system by imagining that God is in the middle spinning it around with his little finger, and you can't learn anything about morality by imagining that uh, subjective interpretations of 2,000-year-old drug-addled fairy tales is going to get you there either. Oh,
3: I totally... I mean, that's what what I find to be so amazing about your work, Steph, is the fact that this is... Um, Never crossed my mind before reading your stuff, and I've been involved in, you know, the the quote-unquote freedom, liberty, whatever label you want to put on it, this year movement, uh, for over 20 years, and, and I am still amazed at how I managed to miss something so frickin' obvious, which is why <laughs> I picked the name Obnosis Jones, and the fact that actually Obnosis is a is a word that was coined by Scientology, which I was connected to for a number of years until I figured out that these people have no idea what they're really talking about. Although, they do have some interesting, you know, personal examination tools. But, uh, but yeah, the, the 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 what passes for thought and discourse in this culture is is utterly clueless. It will be fascinating to watch this guy. His name is Dennis Prager, by the way. He's got a nationally syndicated show. And it will be very interesting to watch his brain explode <laughs> because, he, well, I mean, he has such an investment in what his idea of morality and truth is, and yet he also has such an investment on being all about the values and all about the truth. So it's like he's going to either have to you know, fall down and go, it's all about my opinion, and in which case it will completely blow up his uh, a uh, position on, you know, hey, you know, give me the. I mean, he's 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 would so be proven wrong. He's just a very amazingly good debater from his point of view, and nobody has really come up with anything significant. You know, the the couple times I tried to call him on the air, you know, I never got on. I think his screeners may. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, he deli- he limits his subjects so narrowly, so that if you try to expand, well, you know, well, there's a there's a lower level that, that would undercut this point you're talking about. Oop, no, he doesn't want to talk about that. But getting him at a at a, you know, uh, at a personal appearance where he can't just hit the dump button right. on you. Uh, and, and 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 once again, I realize that it's you know, obviously getting somebody of that stature to understand and you know, to, to, to have a tremendous breakthrough. Uh, would be really a great win, but it's it's not something that you know I'm going to stake the future of free domain on. If only we can get a national talk show hosted. You know. No, I understand that's that would just be kind of like a nice icing on the cake, but you need to bake the cake, you know. And I loved your uh, uh, the recent podcast about you know just grab a grab an end of the anvil and start. Shopping. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what we've got to do, and. I think it's that kind of commitment that kind of creates the, uh, you know, the, the mindset that will impress people like Dennis Prager eventually, you know. We don't need them to cognite to, to understand, you know, but it would be nice. And eventually, as more and more of us, you know, start pushing this anvil, it'll create more and more attention, you know. And I think that is our ultimate goal is just to free our own lives and, uh, you know, people will say, well, why did you do that? Well, why did you divorce your wife of 14 years when you seem to be getting along so well? Well, it's because I realized there wasn't really a relationship there.
0: And I tried, and I tried, and I got nowhere, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, your, The podcast, I, I, I think it was one of the premiums. I can't remember uh, the one where the guy, I think it was a premium where the guy was talking about his marriage. And man, it was just you know, and, and you said, "Well, yeah, um, yeah,
0: I, I warned you." <laughs> right. Nobody believes me. Nobody believes me. But like, you know, approach approach philosophy, you know, fully fully armed with the knowledge that it's gonna, you know, you think you were are gonna learn about philosophy, but what's happened is philosophy is gonna jump on your back like a, you know, like a monkey, you just chew through your uh, your life, right, and it'll be better. And, and and let me just say as an uh, as a uh,
3: anonymous sort of caller uh Steph isn't kidding <laughs> absolutely well what's your experience
0: been with but, this, uh, 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 with this particular thing this approach or this 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 truth
3: well yeah i i have well as, as i had said i had been you know in the liberty game uh since the early 80s when i started to realize that the money was fraudulent and i went through the whole you know um Federal Reserve, IRS, uh, you know, Gambit of all the, you know, the, and, uh, but the problem has always been with that is, well, okay, what do you do with this information, you know, you can't really fight these people, okay, and ultimately, if your own personal life is crap, um, you know, then what's the point, you know, now I had, uh, uh, you can find people who you can be happy with, you know, play the game of happiness as long as you stay within the little boundaries that they set for you. And what happened to me was, you know, when I realized that this game is so much bigger than, you know, exposing the IRS and, you know, getting back to the Constitution, uh, it's like the game just, you know, (laughs) I love the word detonated. (laughs) It is so apropos. Uh, It just detonated the boundaries to the point where I could see so far, I mean, it's like I'm I'm staring at looking at this little box and all of a sudden I'm looking at intergalactic space going, oh my God, all of this stuff is connected. Right. All of, you know, uh, what's, and and I will quote L. Ron Hubbard, uh, whose phrase, you know, where he talks about a discovery he made, but I like the phrase, which is, all of the complexity would, all of a sudden, just resolved into simplicity. And it's correct. I mean, when you see what's really going on, it's really simple.
0: (laughs) Right, right. And it's similar to, you know, this, this thing where they thought that the Earth was the center of the solar system, and the, the way that they calculated the movements of the planets as they got more and more information as the telescope was, was invented and so on, everything just got more and more complex, and they couldn't figure out how to make all of this stuff work with the Earth at the center of the solar system. And then, yeah, you can't, you can't explain all the you data. You can't explain the data except by coming up with more and more weird complexity, right? And then it takes someone to come along and say, okay, and it's so obvious in hindsight, but it's hard to come up with to say, okay, well... Let's just put the sun at the center of the solar system and see how that works. And it's like, click, all the complexity is gone. And everything resolves itself to to a mathematical purity. And uh, that, that shift, right? Einstein did the same thing. Newton did, of course. Einstein, Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, these people all did these things where they said, okay, well, if we change our perspective to this, what happens, right? And so it's like, okay, well, if all moral theories have to be logical and empirical, what happens, right? Can we come up with morality and... If you sort of take that, take, and it's you know, no big genius in, in a sense in hindsight, because you just say, well, it's a scientific method, and it's also the price system in economics. But, and if you say, well, if, if uh, freedom is a human concept, then it should apply to human beings first and foremost, not to political systems, not to familial systems, not to religious systems. And therefore, it's you who needs to enact freedom, not, uh, not have it be uh, something that you beg for from permission from someone else. Absolutely,
3: it's it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life, and I am more optimistic about my my life in the future than I ever have in my entire life. I mean, yes, I'm going through a tremendous amount of turmoil right now, and because I'm now having to make adjustments in my own personal you know, relationships, you know, and I still don't know exactly, you know, what it you know what my life is going to end up looking like, but I do know, you know, that when I am now on a road that actually leads somewhere. That
0: you have control over, right? That that, you don't have to to wait for other people to understand how bad the Fed is and for someone to get voted in and for someone to change. That that makes you crazy because you can't control any of that, right?
3: It is so liberating to know that it doesn't matter what other people do. I am in control of my life, and I am in control of whatever obligations I choose and don't choose. And that is just an amazing gift that I don't know I could have gotten from anywhere else.
0: Well, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled because nobody else is talking. No, about it's me. not, and and that's because I mean, as as you go through this kind of turmoil that occurs when you begin to really bring, and and it's not like we're bringing bringing really weird values into into our lives, right? Um, we're just the whole basis of what I'm doing is just take people at face value, right? So if people around you say. I think it's important to to be honest with each other or to share what I'm thinking and feeling. And everybody says that, right? Then we just say, okay, well, let's do that. And then if they run screaming, then obviously that falls into the big vat called life's too short, right, to, to waste time with that kind of hypocrisy. But it's not like, the funny thing is we're not yes. bringing any weird values, right? Like communism and fascism and I guess even Scientology did bring some weird premises to the table, but this stuff is not that weird, right? It's like, Yes, property rights exist. You know, human beings are individuals. Morality is important. Logic is science are valid. Uh, honesty is a virtue. Courage is a virtue. Nothing that weird. We're just taking it to the logical conclusion. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you know what attracted me to
3: Scientology was Hubbard. You know, had a lot on the ball. I mean, he'd say things like, "No one is responsible for you other than you." You know, no one's responsible for the condition of your life other than you. And he, he went on to say, this is a horrible state of affairs. Right. <laughs> because it's right against the, you know, the general wisdom is that everyone else is ruining your life. So he got a lot of important things. But what he did with the information,
0: you know, one could uh, have. Well, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's, right it's all true, uh, but it's not proven, right? That's always the challenge with these kinds of guys. And it's the same challenge with um with the guys who do the landmark and, and so on, the Werner Erhard crowd. It's, there's some truth in it for sure, but it's not proven. right? So you know, I can be in the 12th century and say, the world is round, the world is round, the world is round. That doesn't make me a scientist. It happens to be true, but I haven't proven anything.
3: Yeah, but the point is, is that wherever you get your inspiration from, if then you make conclusions that aren't based on you know, reality. That's the problem is you, 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 somebody says a few wise things and then you start taking everything they say as gospel.
0: That's where people go off the rails. Right. And that's why I keep and telling people you have to, to focus go. on the methodology and that's not it. on the conclusions and certainly not on me exactly
3: that and to me that is the great gift uh, of this discussion is that you know it's not just we've come up with a bunch of of you know amazing conclusions we've come up with a methodology by which we can check any conclusion right. and that is like you know the super acid of you know of the, of the of the universe
0: it'll it'll burn through anything yeah and i mean part of this multi generational project of freedom i mean i don't mind i mean i don't like that it's a multi-generational project of freedom right that 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 you and i and probably even the younger people who are listening to this we're building a bridge to the future that we're never going to get to cross right we're never going to go and live in Capistan, and we're never going to live in a stateless society and we're never going to live in a society that is not mutated and twisted by various forms of collectivism and religion and familial cults and so on but as long as we know that we're going in the right sure. direction, I feel relatively happier because the freedom movement from a political standpoint has had hundreds of years or thousands of years, if you count Socrates and Aristotle, to get the job done, and it hasn't. It's gone in the opposite direction just about every time. So I don't mind that we're building a bridge that we're never going to get to cross because I know that it's going to get to the right place, uh, not building a bridge just into the ocean that's going to you know, end up with no progress. Yeah, well, knowing there is no political solution,
3: um, I I think, you know, that that is the meme that has to be uh, promoted at this time, you know, and and just to be consistent with one's own. I mean, it does seem kind of ridiculous, the idea that, you know, well, all
0: you have to do is be consistent with your own values. But that is the toughest lesson. And and when you say to people there is no political (laughs) solution, they get really angry. Because they really want to be free and they think that politics is going to do it for them. When you say there's no political solution and here's the evidence, right? what happens is they kind of stall and you can see it and they get angry. And the reason they get angry is, is, is if there's no political solution, then you have to act in your personal life on the principles of libertarianism or freedom or philosophy. You have to act your values in your personal life, not surfing the internet and writing letters and donating to Ron Paul. And You actually have to, to talk to the people in your life about what what you value and what is true and and become intimate with them and challenge them. And people would much rather donate thousands of dollars to Ron Paul than have one conversation with their wife or parents or brother or you know what I mean? Like the, the moment you take away the political solution, people get really mad because it's like, what do you mean I can actually act on stuff now and don't have to cross my fingers and hope and cajole and, and write and you know, but I actually can go and have this conversation now today. They don't like that at all, right? It freaks them out. Oh yeah, well because yeah, you know, the podcast you said
3: you he had recently uh, rebutting this guy limey or Leamy or whatever, where he kept saying, "What are you doing?" You know, and says, "Well, I don't know. I'm just uh, <laughs> you know putting out the truth there and inviting people to uh, to take it. You know, to to." I mean it's like yeah what you know the, the 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 endless question for the libertarian is well what can we do well we now have an answer to that question
0: yeah which will you know, which will you bring you freedom regardless own. of what the state is doing
3: yeah so i i am uh, you know, my my whole life is is being re uh, refocused in, you know i'm closer to my uh, goals than i ever thought i was um now, true, you know, whether Ancapistan will, will cap in my lifetime, I don't know, and it's possible it won't. But at this point, you know,
0: I'm happy to be part of the journey. Right, know? and I look, I, I'm just thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled that it's working for you. I'm glad that you're over some of the initial shock that that happens when you start talking about what really matters to you with the people in your life. Well, you... It, it, it's... It, while it's shocking and 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 and
3: uh, uh, dis- uh, discombobulating, whatever word, but on a much deeper level, it's so much it's so much more liberating because now I know that I'll never have to suffer with this. What were you talking about? I can't remember the podcast I was just re- recently listening to, but the idea of you know. Giving up the idea of constantly being in, you know, not knowing and in doubt, and finally, really, where there is such a thing as certainty, and of course, that means that you then have to do something about the
0: certainty. Well, and it's the it's the action that creates the certainty, right? So. When, as long as you 're talking about the yes. Fed and Ron Paul and a government solution of the constitution you 're never certain about how it 's going to happen you 're in a state of tension you 're in a state of i don 't know how we 're going to get there but I'm cause i 'm panicking because I want it to get there and it 's not going the right way and you 're stressed and you 're upset and blah 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 right? so that is not certainty because you don 't know if you 're going to achieve it right The moments that you and you also fundamentally yeah. don 't empirically know whether it works or not, but when you actually put these libertarian principles. to to bear in your own life with the own people that you, you have in your life, then you see that it does work and you are happier and you are more productive and you are more content and you are more energetic and you are more all of the good things. And then you get certainty because you've actually acted on your beliefs in a sphere that you have influence over, not running for Congress or voting for this or that or the other. And so once you put these things into practice, you get a kind of passionate conviction because now you know that they work. It's not uh, in a book. It's not something that Milton Friedman wrote 20 years ago. It's not something that Mises wrote 60 years ago. It's not something that Rand wrote 50 years ago. It's something that you've actually done. And once you've done it, then you yes. get a kind of certainty that I think has eluded the libertarian movement, which has always been kind of naggy in a way. Right? They nag people. They're like whiny in a way. Because like, not, there's not that personal certainty that comes from actually having achieved it. Yeah,
3: it's like, well, why don't you, you know, once again, it's waiting for somebody else to change. One of the things that, that I've been going through recently and in, in, in going through marriage counseling is every counselor says, well, if you're going to sit there and expect the other person to change, um, you know, this is an unworkable uh, uh, philosophy, you know. And, and I'm sitting there listening to these people going, this is perfect. I mean, you know all of this stuff that that had been remained unresolved is now resolving into simplicity because it's like yeah if somebody is waiting for somebody else to change uh, before they'll be happy um, well I know about their potential for happiness and I don't have to hang around waiting you know
0: anymore because I know how I can get happiness I create right. it myself. and if you go the political solution and you spend 20 or 30 or 40 years doing it and you find out it was the wrong thing, and you're old, I mean, you know, it kind of sucks a little, right? I mean, that's why I'm sort of trying to get as much, uh, as much out there as possible so that people can get that they're not dependent upon democracy to give them freedom. And they'll never get it, right, A. And B, uh, you know, they don't have to wait for that, right? Never going to happen.
3: Well, I've already distributed uh, six copies of your On uh, Truth book, um looking to buy more and I'm really looking forward to the UPP when it's released because, you know, that's that's where it's at and, you know, I'm going through people that I know and either they will understand and they will be a part of my life or they will kind of, you know, scratch their head and go, gee, what kind of weird crap is he into now? And I'll know that, uh, well, they're not ready for it yet, you know,
0: but I won't waste a lot of time. Right, most, most people don't make it, right? That's, that's the painful part, right? Most people... Most people will choose what is familiar to what is, uh, uh, to what is true. And, uh, I mean, and of course, right, I mean, it would kind of suck, totally suck, if someone, whether me or somebody else, came up with some methodology and we got encapistan in six months. Because then it would be like, man, are we ever retarded, right? <laughs> I mean, if it's that possible, right, the harder <laughs> it is, the more we can relax about not having achieved it in the past, because it is damn hard. Yeah,
3: it's, it's, it's sort of, such a way I said, well, I don't feel so bad that we haven't done it yet. Cause exactly, man, is it exactly. Tough.
0: And, and man, do people kick and scream when you take it out of the abstract and put it into their lap. And boy, have I been experiencing that. All right, well, listen, I wanted to give uh, anybody else who wanted to, to have a chat, so thank you so much for, for sharing where you're at, and do, do keep us in touch. Um, I'm just going to open it up to, to anybody else who wants to get any words of wisdom in before, before the end of the show, so uh, I'll open it wide. I'm stopping all the people on the chat window. Speak. Speak. Hey, uh, hey Steph. Good. How Is you doing?
6: <laughs> okay, why, what gonna
7: do for you? Um, well, uh, I don't know if you've... I guess we've been talking in the, the chat window for a little while about uh, what happened yesterday. Uh, I, I had a confrontation with my father. He uh he kind of he, he kind of assaulted me a, a little, little bit.
0: bit. Okay, let's let's hear about it tell us yeah. the story. Yeah.
7: Well, okay, I was I'll just make it really short because it's not I don't think that's the important part. Um I mean, I wanted to go watch uh the football game with a friend of mine who lives in uh well, at the college. And uh, this particular friend is not a friend that they uh, have a very high opinion of, and so they said no, and I kept asking them for consistency, you know, and uh, they just got really upset and started, you know, blaming me and calling, you know, my mom especially, you know, saying pejorative things about me and my friend and all this stuff, and, you know… And then I just she she, then she started then she started blaming me for quote ruining her day even by asking, and uh, I just I just said I don't care if I ruined your day, and then that's when I said it kind of flippantly, so it was probably a little bit too hasty, because there was a a million different ways of saying you know I don't want to be manipulated, and I probably didn't pick the right one, but uh, my my dad just like instantly picked that up on that as disrespectful, and so he you know. He was pretty. He was enraged and just kind of grabbed me, and you know he didn't hit me or anything like that. Just you know grabbed me and held me up against the wall, something like that. So anyway, it was pretty. I don't know. It was scary. It was shocking. I I'm 20 years old. You know I didn't ex- didn't expect right. that at all
0: right well i'm sorry to hear that of course i mean that is assault right i mean by by any legal definition that would be reasonable that is uh, that is assault so um, sorry go ahead right
7: right and i, I you know i'm not obviously not going like press charges or anything like that but it, it really what was just what we were talking about on the board was that you know some some people are saying you know like when are you leaving and all that and i i am planning to um but i but I was—I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like charge him for any of this. I, what I'm thinking is, I, I, this just really increases my conviction for leaving when I was already kind of sure. planning now, to. Sure. Now, sorry, can we just back up which for is a second? In two why months. is it
0: that you would not press charges? Um, I don't. I'm not saying you should. I don't know. Like, I'm just—it seemed to me like an unthinkable thing, and I'm not yeah. sure why it's unthinkable, right? right? I mean, certainly, if somebody grabbed me and pushed me up against a wall. Uh, I, would, I would be very likely to press charges, right? I mean, simply because uh, I, I view it kind of minor civic duty, right? Like, I mean, if somebody's violent towards me, then if nobody ever says anything, they get to get away with it for the rest of their life, blah, 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 right? So, I mean, there's arguments. I know we don't have a perfect police system and so on, but there are certainly arguments that, that could be made as to why you, you could or should even um, uh, press charges. So I'm just wondering why it was like a completely unthinkable thing.
7: Yeah, I I don't know. It, it, just because I think that leaving will be good enough. I I don't I don't feel the need to. I, I don't think that I'd get anything. It, it would it would con- it would cause you know. It would cause me to have to see them and deal with them, you know. More as the the court stuff went on, maybe I don't I don't know. But just I think that it's it's plenty good just to just to leave. I think I, I don't know. You know well, I, mean? I would
0: say that if by leaving what you mean is to sort of leave from their life without looking back, kind of thing, then I can certainly understand why pressing charges would not be. Uh, would not be wise, in a sense, right? I mean, because then it's, you, know, you get dragged in and dragged back and so on. Like, if you're just going to leave, then, then leave. And is that sort of your intention? Um, and again, you know, this could change as time goes along, but is your intention to uh, leave and not look back? Uh,
7: that is, that's pretty much my intention, yeah. Right,
0: well, then I can see why it would make some sense to, to we- not... I just always want to make sure that people don't just throw things out of their mind because they're quote impossible or unthinkable or whatever, right? I mean, you absolutely have the right to press charges against anybody who assaults you. Uh,
7: yeah, I know. It's you know, it's like there's issues of proof, and I'd feel like I'd be trying to get back at them or something like that. I, I just don't. I just don't feel like getting into that. You know, it's fine talking about it. I, I just don't. You know, I don't feel like going that direction. Right,
0: like it would overcomplicate the exit strategy. Right.
7: Right. That's why, I, and that's kind of partially why I'm not leaving just right now because I, I don't. My feeling is like this particular incident did not hurt me. Any more than all the previous incidents did. It, it's just it just happened yesterday, so it's so much easier for me to see, you know how bad how bad it must have been for me when I was you know infinitely less defense you know I had infinitely less defenses against that. Right. You know. So I I, I just I don't know. I kind of lost my, my train well, of thought
0: there. Well, you, you, you so. were saying that this did not hurt you any more than the previous times. Uh, I, I wouldn't agree with that myself. I don't think that that's right. true. I think that any time we're assaulted, it's ugly and it's, it's uh, horrible. Like I mean, it's not like, oh, well, it's been a thousand times, so a thousand and one doesn't hurt me anymore or whatever. Uh, it certainly is an incredibly ugly and unpleasant thing to have to go through. It can be helpful. Right. I mean, I I think I if I understand your sort of goal or or process here, what you're doing is you're you're expressing your needs in a way that is more assertive, and because you're being more assertive, you're being uh, attacked. Right.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, and I and even while I was, you know, being attacked, I felt like I mean, I I wasn't, I was being more assertive. I was standing standing my ground. I wasn't attacking back or anything like that, but just you know not, not letting myself get tossed around either, you know, physically.
0: Right. But, you know, what I would say is that you are, this would be my suggestion. You say you've got two months to go, right? Two or three. Okay. Let's say, let's say two or three. Um, This would be my suggestion. You are in a physically volatile situation. And a parent who will aggress against a child at the age of 20 is a volatile and dangerous person to be around, right? You know enough now to leave without regret, if I understand this correctly, or without doubts or, or ambivalence or mixed feelings, right?
7: Yeah, that's how I feel right now. I mean, I didn't feel that way. Other than, I felt that way intellectually kind of for the past few months, but I I don't feel, I haven't really got it, especially with pertains to my dad, because I tried to save the relationship with my parents
0: through him. Sure, sure. So my suggestion would be, like, if you know that you're going to get out of the mafia, you don't pick fights. Right. So if you've reached the place where you have some closure in terms of the possibility. And I would say that physical assault is probably one of those places that you can get that kind of certainty.
7: Right, yeah, it was kind of helpful that way.
0: Right. So now, what I would suggest, in fact more than suggest, strongly advocate that you do, is to simply be meek and obedient until you go.
7: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm I'm really too far from meek and obedient from just average, you know, day-to-day life.
0: Well, sure, I understand that, but I don't think that you want to get into the situation where you're repeating the assault or uh, instigating or being part of the process that leads up to, I don't mean your fault, but instigating the assault that uh, occurred yesterday.
7: Right, so like, no...
0: Hi, sorry, no, but, some, just interrupt, somebody's sort of pounding on the <laughs> keyboard or mic or something, so if you could... Yeah, it no, seems like that. Great. But sorry, go ahead.
7: Uh, you know, yeah, no, well, I guess what, what, what you would mean by that is, since the instigating in- incident was uh, demanding consistency, what I should stop doing is demanding consistency, since I know that they'll be
0: inconsistent. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, you don't argue with crazy people. Once you've established that somebody is crazy, you don't argue with them anymore, right? Because then it becomes masochistic. And so you don't ask, you don't try to establish personal boundaries with narcissistic or violent people. Because you can't do it. It's impossible, right? Right. And so since you can't ever get boundaries from somebody who's willing to physically assault you, and you can't have a reasonable or peaceful or animated or passionate discussion with somebody who is willing to physically assault you, then... What you do is you just don't pick fights with that person. You just get away from them, right? Right. Because you're going to want to fight with your dad. You're going to want to fight with your dad because you're mad, right?
7: (sighs) Not as much as some would think, but, yeah, I I mean, not really that mad. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm not.
0: Well, just just – be alert to the possibility that this may come up in you, right? Because if you've been uh, assaulted over the years by your father, you've got some rage, right? No, no one who's alive could not be that way. Sure. Sure, I just,
7: I just guess I don't feel it.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, just be careful, right? You're in a volatile situation, and you need to be aware that your assertiveness has brought something to your consciousness which is the degree that you've gotten very viscerally of your physical humiliation at the hands of your father over the years right right that is going to let a kind of beast loose in you right it's going to destabilize you for a little while and given that the instigator is around i would suggest get out as soon as you can i don't know it doesn't matter what your circumstances are if you can't do it you can't do it but right you have to be careful that See, the, the reason that you should get out sooner rather than later is because your father may do something he regrets or you may do something that you regret.
7: Right. So but
0: Because you've got two alpha males. You've got two alpha males in a situation of physical dominance here. And you're old enough now and you're big enough now that you, you've got a lot of rage in there because being uh, physically assaulted for many years always breeds, I mean, there's no possible way that it can't breed a lot of anger, right? That's something you need to deal with uh, before you get into more longer-term relationships, I would say. I don't want to repeat any patterns. But you're in a situation where somebody who's instigated violence against you, which you're now conscious of, is going to be pushing your buttons for the next, you know, six to eight to twelve weeks, right?
7: Okay. Right, right. And When you said something about the two awful males, I, I, I kind of like that clicked because I was thinking like I'm, I've been trying to assert my independence, you know, as a, as a person, and that's, okay, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, this is primal, right? I mean, this is very primitive, what's going on between you and your father, which is around the overthrow of the older generation. There's something almost simian, and I don't mean this in, in any insulting way, but there's something very primal about it, right? Sure. Uh, that you're attempting to assert your authority against the sort of leader of the pack, so to speak, and, and there's physical violence that ensues. Uh, in, in the ape world, this this doesn't end well, right? I mean, and we have all of those instincts still. So just don't get into fights with your dad, and for heaven's sake, just whatever you can do to get out as quickly as possible is essential, and be aware, monitor yourself for your own temper. Don't let a flare-up get the better of you and make you do something you'll regret. Sure. All right. That makes sense. Can you get to a counselor or therapist, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist?
7: I'm, I'm in therapy, and he's paying for it.
0: So. Oh, good. Okay. Well, you know, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So um, uh, then I shouldn't do too much uh, more because, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were – I try not to, to sort of – hey, and here's the philosopher's take on what your therapist is, is saying or whatever, right? But
7: I, I don't know. I appreciate both. Should I, should I, should I nod or –
0: no, no, look, if it's, if it's abuse to you, it's abuse to you. I just, I don't, want, uh, 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 I don't want a therapist calling me up and saying, what the hell are you saying to my patient? The, you don't know the history. You don't know this. You don't know that. That kind of stuff, uh, which they could have every We're not too, that I far
7: see. into it yet, so. But, yeah, I understand. That makes sense.
0: Right, right. So, um, I hope that this is helpful. You know, uh, the self-mastery that you're going to need till you get out is not going to be insignificant. Uh, it, it will actually be better for you psychologically to submit to your dad because that's the humiliation that you need to deal with, right? Because when you were a kid, you could not fight back. Now that you can, if you do fight back, you won't actually be really, 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 really re-experiencing what happened to you as a kid, which is what you do need to be able to move on.
7: Okay. Well, that makes sense. Thanks.
0: Oh, you're very welcome, Listen, I'm so, so sorry that uh, that it's come to this. It is uh, just an awful, awful thing that anybody should ever lay a hand on you uh, in anger, or anyone. I mean, it is a terrible, terrible thing, and my heart absolutely goes out to you. I just, uh, all the sympathy in the world for this uh, really, really difficult situation, and I absolutely wish you the best of luck over the next couple of weeks, and do keep us posted. All right, I will. All right. Well, thanks. Anybody? Does anybody? Sorry. Thanks uh, to that listener. Does anybody have uh, any uh, last-minute questions, comments, issues? Short-term, short time, uh, small-time problems. Hey, what's up? I've got something. Go for it. All
4: right. Well, um, something that's been coming up in philosophy a lot is another one of these, you know, uh, fake philosophical problems, and it's uh, what is what is knowledge exactly. And uh, I ended up getting into an argument with my epistemology professor over. Uh, She was saying, oh, well, is it possible for a a person to schizophrenically form a belief about something like it is raining outside and have it be for the wrong reasons? And, you know, would he have knowledge just like, you know, you have knowledge if you come to that conclusion? Well, I was contending in the first place that our beliefs are fundamentally not even about the same things if he's not doing it with any justification. So I just wanted to see what your take was. You know, what is your exact definition of knowledge?
0: Well, knowledge is the uh, facts about reality that we arrive at through repeatable methodologies, right? So, um, uh, yeah, she's absolutely right. Somebody who's locked in solitary con- confinement could have a dream that it was raining and be convinced that it was raining, but have no knowledge, right? The problem is that's not a reproducible methodology, right? So, if you think about, you know, archery, like the, you know, the shooting bows and arrows, right? it's a very difficult sport. Those bows are really heavy. I've tried it uh, a couple of times. Um, any idiot can wander up and hit a bullseye once every 500 pulls, right? Right. But, but we, we would not call that skill. Right. right? So, so skill, is, skill is when you can reproduce. Skill is when you can reproduce it. And I was saying to somebody the other day, when I first started to learn tennis, because I'm pretty strong, I was able to rip off some fantastic serves, but like one out of ten times, right? So now I've got it down to one out of two times, right? which is like 20 years of, of practice. But um, uh, the, uh, the fact that I could hit a great serve did not make me a great tennis player. It's the methodology uh, of practice and reproducibility that counts. right? So it's not knowledge if you just have an opinion. right? As I said earlier, if I just went around, if I wrote a children's story in the 12th century entitled The World is Round, we would not call that a scientific proof. I would not have knowledge that the world is round. I would just be saying something. Similarly, if somebody teaches me uh, a, a phrase in Japanese that is something horribly offensive, but they teach it to me as if it's a polite greeting, and I go and horribly, you know, say this horrible statement to some Japanese person, um, it's not that I'm trying to offend them, right? I just lack knowledge, and I've been misled and this and that and the other, right? So, so knowledge is the, is the accurate statements that we can make about Reality based on a repeatable methodology, right? Which is the scientific method, which is UPB, which is philosophy, which is math, which is you know logic itself. So the schizophrenic doesn't pass that test because it's not a repeatable methodology.
4: Right. So uh, using uh, using the skill analogy uh, to the archer, it seems that yeah, you're defining knowledge in this way that you're requiring um, repeatability as a as a criterion. But I guess I guess what I was wondering is like, is there a more tightly nit uh, logical proof like when you actually show the steps like that let's say uh to lead to my belief formation that it's raining outside you know there's a there's a set of steps that leads down to the law of identity at some point right and then uh the schizophrenic person who forms this thing forms that belief without any regard to the law of identity or at least the lineage the you know the spatial and temporal arguments for why it's raining outside and what and what, what it's arguing about Do you see what i'm saying i think your explanation is sort of like attacking it from a different side
0: well, sure. I mean, I'm not going to claim that that's a, a, a syllogistical proof uh, of, of the of the idea. But, you know, the basic thing is that uh, something that is accidentally right is not right, right? It's not correct. Something that is accidentally correct, uh, you know, if I wake up from a dream uh, in the 12th century and I say E equals mc squared, that it, it doesn't make me Einstein, right? That's just an accidental uh, can, can, uh, sort of aggregation of of images or words or whatever that's not knowledge the same thing that would occur with a schizophrenic that is a delusion right because it is not accurately derived from the properties of reality right so what i what
4: what i'm saying to you is that is that the belief isn't even saying the same thing if the schizophrenic comes to that conclusion right it's it's um, like if the schizophrenic says it's raining outside he may happen to be saying it in the same sentence same sentence format. And somebody who has knowledge may even be interpreting that in such a way that they have knowledge. But in terms of an internal state, it's, it's impossible. So, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the belief that any schizophrenic forms or somebody forms without a justification is something that by definition cannot be true.
0: Well, it has no relationship to truth for sure, right? I mean, you can't, if the schizophrenic says it's raining and it is in fact raining, then you can't say that what they're saying is not true because it is true right? It's just accidentally true, right? But but the pro- pro- the professor is kind of funny, right? Because she's saying, well, this, you know, schizophrenic truth statement and so on, then you could ask her and say, well, this is your theory, so you would be perfectly comfortable having a schizophrenic as a philosophy teacher, right? And if she said, yes, I would be perfectly comfortable, then she's insane, right? But if she says, no, I would not feel perfectly comfortable having somebody with a delusional mental illness teaching philosophy, then you would say, well, then you understand that there's a difference, right?
4: So, I, I, but what you, what you said about the schizophrenic saying it's raining outside, you're saying that it's not necessarily false. I mean, in terms of, of, of language and operating by common language standards, it's not false, uh, as long as you know, we, we understand the words that he's using in the way that corresponds with, with truth. I'm talking more like in terms of an internal state, what... What types of things is he ascribing to be contained in the words "it is raining outside"? Like to him, what's contained in "raining" without justification? Right? It's missing facts that would go into that, which would include the things like the law of identity or certain physical laws, or um, uh, I don't know, just certain things like certain phenomena. Uh,
0: It would have to be derived. It would have to be derived, like that the reproducible methodology is is accurately derived from sensual information about observable reality, right? So I could write a computer program to randomly say, once every 24 hours, it's raining outside. And if my computer happened to say, it's raining outside, when it was in fact raining outside, we would not call my computer a meteorologist, right? We would just say that right. this is just a coincidence, right? Now, it's not right. that what my computer is saying is false. It's just that it's not at any kind of reproducible methodology and the information that is being spoken is only accidentally coinciding with external reality, but it is not derived from external reality. And knowledge does have to be that which is derived from reality uh, or, you know, the laws of logic or whatever.
4: But what the knowledge that the computer would be spouting off in that case is a sort of external form of knowledge. Like, let's say uh, human beings uh, from uh, from now... Uh, left a bunch of information on a hard drive and there was a huge dark age and humans of the far future came and picked up that hard drive, right? The knowledge that they gain from that is, is, is uh, in other words, the hard drive itself doesn't have knowledge on it, right? It's, it has something, some symbols on it, some uh, collection of binary, you know, of some bits uh, strung together that they can interpret as knowledge and end up learning about by, you know, piecing together their theories about what humans in the past were like. But it itself does not have knowledge. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that from a person's perspective, if a person happens to be forming the, the, quote, correct beliefs for the wrong reasons, all they're simply doing is giving us that hard drive, right? They're only giving us a set of external symbols that, you know, we, can tend to, that we can tend to manipulate in such a way that it corresponds with our true knowledge. So, I mean, this is like splitting hairs almost, but I mean, it, it's a big, quote, philosophical problem and – I think with this kind of clarity, it's important. So do you see what I'm saying about the difference between a sort of knowledge as an internal state and knowledge as external storage?
0: Well, sure. I mean, the book is not the writer, without a doubt. But I still think that the reproducibility is, is, uh, is the key. I really do. I mean, uh, because, uh, you know, you could take some random berry and it might cure your sore throat. Right. But unless you had the scientific method, you'd never be able to reproduce it because maybe it was just a coincidence or maybe, you know, just your sore throat happened to heal of its own accord or whatever. So we all understand that somebody who's schizophrenic cannot give you consistent statements about reality and anything that they say that is, quote, that, that correlates reality with reality only correlates with reality accidentally. Right. And therefore, it's not really a correlation with reality so the fact that that uh, a schizophrenic is only going to be accidentally right uh, quote right in, in a randomized manner and that that is going to be very slight right the reason that you don't have schizophrenics as meteorologists is that 99.99999 percent of the time their knowledge is going to have no bearing on reality because you know it's just random it's just randomly generated right it's the reason that we don't have uh, computers type random code into themselves to come up with a program. I guess once in a billion years they might come up with something as big and bloated as Microsoft Word, but uh, that's not how we do things because it's not a reproducible methodology. right? It's just random stuff. So um, the reason that we have logic and the scientific method and, and the evidence of our senses and, and some validation and, and some sort of the empirical validation is so that we have a reproducible methodology, and that's how we know that something is knowledge rather than just static, right?
4: So yeah, uh, I guess in quick summary, um, you're you're suggesting that you no know, reproducible methodology is something that necessarily arises from knowledge, right? And that's a good, thus a good criterion for seeing if something is knowledge or not. So, but but when it comes down to it, I was just trying to I was just trying to see if uh, if you agreed that uh, when a schizophrenic comes up with a belief, right, it, it can't even logically correspond to reality. It can only be something that's said externally that can be interpreted as something that correlates with reality every now and then.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, if uh, if if the wind carves to be or not to be on, on a beach just accidentally, we don't say that the wind is as good an author as Shakespeare, right? It's just a random happenstance. It's not reproducible. It's not anything which is consistent. It can't be evaluated. It can't be retested. Uh, knowledge is a slippery thing, right? Knowledge is a, a thing that needs uh, to be looked at from a bunch of different angles. It needs to be tested by a bunch of different people particularly in science, right? This whole fusion in a jar nonsense, right? Nobody else could reproduce the experiments. Knowledge is a slippery thing, and that's why this reproducibility is is very key, right? And that's that's why when you've built a bridge before, you know you can build it again, and it's going to stay up if the last one did, because reality is consistent. And that's why, like, reality is consistent, and therefore what true statements that we make about reality should also be consistent, which means reproducible. Uh, And therefore, you know, if there is water falling from the sky then it's raining, right? We can say that's consistent description of the behavior of, of matter and energy in reality. But if we just say it based on our own vision and it's not corresponding to anything in reality, then it's not a knowledge statement at all. Well, that was the short question, I guess. Well, that's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Is there anybody who uh, is dying, dying, I tell you, uh, for uh, any other uh, questions or comments before the end of the, uh, end of the show? Hey, Steph. Dude. What's up, man? Wait, wait. I'm just licking your arm in thanks for your donation this week.
6: Oh, hey, that tickles.
0: <laughs> That's what I was going for.
6: <laughs> so I just I uh, wanted to give you some mad props on that uh, the God of Atheists thing. I finally got done with the uh, the audio book a couple weeks ago.
0: Oh, and I'm glad you liked it.
6: It was just wow. I seriously, there's there have been. When did you write that?
0: I wrote that in 2003, uh, 2002, 2003, I think.
6: Okay, so this this is the thing that really just kind of gave me chills when I was listening to it, is that the, the concepts that are driving FDR were there that long ago. And the fact, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just totally blowing your method here, you might want to edit this out or something like that, but the fact that you've been able to release this stuff in such a slow burn that allows people to keep up with it and, and you know, I mean you're, you're literally bringing you know, hundreds, thousands of people along on this conversation that, you know, it has to be taken slowly and I can't, I mean it was just amazing to me that you have the patience <laughs> To do this so methodically and so, and so purposefully, because I always, I just always assumed that the whole FDR thing was just you rambling and then figuring things out as you went along, but it's really not, and it's quite amazing when when I finally understood that, you know.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, this this I wrote years before. Uh, I guess the, uh, this I wrote two or three years before my first article was published on the Rockwell, which was prior to. Uh, free domain radio yeah no i mean i, I had a, a pretty solid idea of where it is that i wanted to take people but i also knew that if i started off with the family stuff that it would be culty and without context and you have to get people to believe in stuff or to to i shouldn't say believe in stuff you have to get people to understand stuff in the abstract before they can apply it in the personal and that's why of course i started with the dro's and the stateless society and so on so that i could get the idea that voluntarism was a virtue and coercion was never required, and then, of course, if voluntarism is a virtue and coercion is never required, then how was your childhood, right? I mean, those kinds of things. And I also had to get people uh, to understand that there was no God uh, in order to strip away the mythology of parenting, which we, or parenthood, right? Which is what, So, I mean, it wasn't entirely... I mean, I didn't have every last word, obviously, planned out, but um, there was definitely some... Uh, how can I get this across to people in a way that 's going to be enjoyable for them? How am I going to slip past the false self defenses that we are all, all have and and get get them to a place where when I start talking about their family that i 'm not going to completely freak people out, alienate them, turn them off, uh, make me feel that there 's a bait and switch? How am I going to establish some authority and some credibility <laughs> like it was it was absolutely a a, a, a challenge from that standpoint and uh, i think that i've had some comments from the people who've read or listened to to goa that uh, they knew uh they kind of know in hindsight what i knew back then and th- that that it, it was a bit of a it was i guess i tried to make it as soft a, a landing as as i could for people
6: yeah yeah no definitely and you yeah, know this is um I got this uh, sense as I was finishing up the, uh, the audio book of that, that it was something that, uh, well, I'm rambling here. The, um, the feeling that I got, I've had a couple of times during the, uh, the podcast series, and one of the other times that I felt it very strongly was when I was listening to one of your premium podcasts, the one on the series on Ayn Rand. And I think it was the second or third, I think it was the third one when you were answering questions that Christina had had about Ayn Rand. And um, it, was this, it was this odd feeling that I had that is very rare to me. And it was one that, you know, kind of growing up being a relatively bright kid and stuff in the middle of Nowheresville, Minnesota, there weren't that many people out there that truly impressed me in a... Um, in a mentor type of sense, I guess you could say, someone who I could look to and say, this guy knows so much more than me that I have absolutely no compunction in just laying myself down at, at his feet and like just saying, okay, teach me something, right? And there have been a few times during this process over the last couple of years that I've had this really strong sense and it makes me really giddy when I feel it. It's like a, it's a feeling of, I've found someone here that I can actually let my guard down with. I don't have to constantly be checking everything they say against my gut, well, not my gut instincts, but against, like, facts and figures and this and that. And I think it has something to do with, I know we were joking about this several months back about the whole abacus thing, you know, being so precise and certain in every little tiny thing. And the feeling that I get when I... When I have those moments of clarity like that, where it's like I I feel like I'm able to put down the abacus for a little while and just you know go on instinct, go on feeling, and it it's such a re- it's just a great feeling. And I just wanted you to know that that uh, you know Togoa and you know several other times during this conversation, I've had this feeling, and it's it's such a new feeling, but one that I, I like having. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, I really appreciate that, and I uh, I must say that I was I. I think I was. I I must say I think I, I I almost outdid myself a little on the Ayn Rand stuff because she is such an incredible thinker, right? I mean, and, and I uh, lay lay at her feet for, for many many years uh, as as far as, as thinking went. So to to attempt to surmount the uh, goddess of philosophy, so to speak, uh, was uh, it really did bring out something quite. Uh, <laughs> quite uh, you know, almost like remarkable in me like it was uh, I felt that I sort of outdid myself on that podcast series so so thanks I'm glad that that, that connected to Steve. Yeah definitely I mean that
6: thing resonated with me very I mean there's something about just um, hearing someone cuz I knew that you had this reverence for her ideas and stuff like that but when when you got to the point where the conversation sort of reached well you reached the point of stepping up to where she got, and then stepping past it. And the way that you did it was so—it—it it seemed like I was watching a uh, some kind of crazy ninja master or something like that doing some impossible move, but pulling it off so gracefully that you're like, "I could do that," you know. <laughs> right, right. And it was—it was really cool. I mean, that was the that, it was at that point um, where I really just felt, you know, gosh, okay. Whatever this guy says, I'm just gonna give it a go for a while because this is really freaking cool, you know. I mean, really cool. And uh, I mean, this is after I've made tons and tons of progress thanks to you know you and Christina already. I mean, it's it's just that I'm still having these moments of of inspiration still, You know, it's just like and it it feels like it's unlocking new doors now and then. So that's why I was really I was really excited to be able to send in a you know a donation again, and I wanted that to go toward your to-go up uh, promotions and stuff like that. I, I really wish I could have sent more, but I mean, I think that that's truly a, a masterpiece. I I really do think so.
0: Well, thanks, and I, I definitely wanted to write a book uh, that engaged a, a people at a philosophical level, but of course, you, you can't out Atlas Shrugged, Atlas Shrugged, right? I mean, this is no point even trying, right? I mean, I don't think that there'll ever be a better plotted, tighter philosophical novel than that, but what I always felt was missing from Ayn Rand was something that I have tried from the very beginning to put into this show. It's a little something I call relentless benevolence. And (laughs) it's something that it's like, uh, oh yeah, I can still be benevolent. Oh yeah, piss me off. I can be passionate and angry and still be benevolent. And I think that that kind of relentless benevolence is what, you know, I've got some emails from just a variety of people this week sort of saying that I should warn that these podcasts are like crack, right? And and I think that the, the crack is, is, the, is, is that there is a relentless positivity and benevolence, even when I'm really mad at listers and stuff, there's real benevolence and posit, uh, positivity to that. And I think that uh, that is sort of, I think, what, what does get people, uh, what, what really does help people to, to, to trust, right? Because we are afraid of authority figures and we are afraid of people who know more because people who are authority figures and people who know more so often use it to pivot themselves up at everybody else's expense and not to get under people and push them up and, and encourage them up and cajole them up and tease them up and, and make them laugh up, right? I mean, we're so used okay. to, to authority knowledge and, and intelligence being something which is used as a positioning kind of tool to, to heighten the person who has the ability and at the expense of everybody else so that we go, ooh, ah, you know, I could never do what this person does or that's so amazing that whatever, whatever, And I've really tried to to not do that, of course, right? that would be sort of vainglorious and pointless. And I think that Ayn Rand fell into that trap of, you know, look how brilliant I am and this and that and the other. But I think that relentless benevolence, it's sort of surprising to people. And when they do learn that I can be trusted, of course, the person that they're really trusting is themselves to evaluate and judge who has some knowledge and expertise that can be of help to them. And it does, as you say, it allows you to put down the nitpicky city you know, map, which we all have, which is like, and I get this is why I was sort of earlier in this show, I was sort of saying, no, I'm not going to differentiate between, you know, piercing your tongue and wearing a necklace. And I'm not going to differentiate between this, that, and the other, because we know that the extremes are very different. And Uh this nitpicky stuff in the middle is where everyone draws, it gets drawn to, and it paralyzes people, and it depresses people. And to be able to just let your enthusiasms lift you uh, and let your trust in this conversation lift you uh, beyond the nitpicky stuff, to the really glorious high winds of thought, I think is just a, a wonderful experience.
6: Yeah, and there's... I mean, I think there's a definite um, link or a relationship between what you just said, letting down the nip city for me is, you know, is just toss the abacus, dude, for a little while. And I think there's a parallel between that and what you've been talking about recently, over the, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, about um, just completely... Um, Giving into generosity with someone in a relationship, I think it was, um, you know, what I'm talking about. It's the one where you just do everything you possibly can for them, and then you will achieve certainty.
4: Yes, that, and I, I think
6: that that, as far as the, um, you know, I don't know, the philosophically, this conversation is going. I think it's like, it's that same feeling where the 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 advocates, uh, the nitpicks are always a hedge against. They perceived, um, like you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop where this person's going to, you know, screw you over sometime.
0: Right. And, right. Then I and think, so, sorry, go ahead.
6: Oh yeah. I was just saying, is so this, this feeling that I get in this conversation with you, even though it seems, you know, awfully one sided a lot where I'm just listening to you on headphones, it still feels like, you know, I can, I can feel that generosity that you're giving us and it inspires in me like this this feeling of i want to give everything that i can to this conversation right now without hedging it without saying yeah but and when i when i get those feelings that's when i make those big strides in my progress like the conversation that led to my you know retrieving all that money from a past employer and getting out of my last job and starting my company and all that stuff like that it's like these are the things that those are the times that I just said okay let's assume that this is absolutely right and I'm just going to go with it and have no doubt. And those are the times that I've made the biggest leaps. And so this is I mean I think this is like awesome training wheels for me to be able to to use these things in my personal relationships too and it's really it's it's invigorating.
0: Yeah, no I I think you're right. I mean there's a there's a kind of um I mean the, to to use the flight metaphor perhaps beyond its capacity to to be sustained there's a kind of, like, when you're hunched over the controls and you're flying and you're nervous and you can't see that far ahead and it's, you know, raining and this and that and you're flying by instruments, right? Then you feel like you can't take your eyes away from the instruments because you don't know if there's a mountain coming. You don't know where the ground is. You're sort of disoriented, right? And that's where people get with the sort of nitpicky city thing, right? They're sort of fussing about everything and and every differentiation blows their mind and renders them paralyzed and so on. And I'm sort of saying that when you take your eyes off the, the the instruments, you can actually just step out of the plane and fly, and it's a clear blue sky, right? And yeah. and that's totally counterintuitive to people, because they're like, well, I can't fly. I have to look at these instruments, and I don't want to crash, right? But that's... Oh, and there's a lot of fear behind it, too, yeah. Yeah, a, I mean, it's, it's just- totally counterintuitive. That's not quite living the way that, that I really try to, to get the idea across, right? That we can absolutely fly. We can step out of the plane. We can be the instruments. We can see... 10,000 miles, we can do all of the Immelman curves and drops that we want. There's an amazing uh, dexterity and flexibility that we have that we're all geniuses and we're all philosophers and we don't need to sit there hunched over the instruments winding our way through life hoping not to crash. But just let go of the plane, become the plane, become the instruments and totally fly. And that, I think, is what you get uh, in these moments where you trust because it's trust in yourself. I don't need to look at the instruments. I don't need to triple check everything. I don't need to find all the hairs that I could conceivably split that might make me incorrect. I can actually just fly and know that I won't crash.
6: Right. Absolutely. No, it was, it was uh, it's good stuff. I'm going uh, to let it go now, but uh, I just wanted to reiterate and reinforce that donation that, yeah, you really knocked it out of the park with that one, and I'm really happy to help get that out there into the world. Well, thanks. I think it's
0: something the I will, uh, the editor is working on it now and should be done in about a week, week and a half. And uh, there's one uh, thing, because I pulled out, there's a whole subplot about uh, Rudy's uh, dating life that just made the book too long. And I pulled that all out. And there's a, a statement that uh, Gordon says to Rudy near the end where he says, The last act is about you. And that doesn't make any sense anymore. Because that whole subplot has been taken out, so... Uh, but that'll be for the the EP, right, the DVD version or something. So there's just a few <laughs> little edits that I need to make outside of the, the editor who's going over it for sort of thematic and style and grammar. But, uh, yeah, it should be out definitely uh, uh, in, in October. And thank I you, think Greg I wants... definitely use all the cash to, to try and get that uh, to fly to.
6: Sweet. I think Greg wants you to take out the sex scene, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the sex scene is interesting, and I, I sort of mulled it over back and forth, but I really did want to show just how disconnected uh, the uh, the, um, the postmodern false self intellectual stuff is from the physicality, and I just—I mean—I think that there was no more visceral way to do it. So.
6: Yeah. Greg is kind of questioning us here.
0: Yes, Justin <laughs> does throw his uh, bass guitar down twice. Thanks, I noticed that when I was—I've got it. Uh, uh, I was this. Oh yeah. Book. Yeah. I, just, I remembered
6: it, that part. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, because you know what? It's a—it's a rubber bass guitar. So he's, he's <laughs> dribbling it more than anything. So. <laughs> <laughs>
7: no, because the, the first time it's it's so like, you make it so clear that he throws it down that when you say it again, it's like, it, it stands out, you know? Right, right. Uh, Maybe
0: there's a sub-base. You,
7: you give the, like it makes a, it makes a, a, a uh, like an upset noise.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, thank you. I, I thank sounds. you. I've forgotten about that. I'm going to see if the editor gets that. Uh, I'm sure that they will, but I've got a note about that. So, yeah, I know that's quite right. It makes a wounded sound, and then he throws it down again. And I don't think there is a sub-basement, so I think that we should not do that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining in today. It was a great show. James, if you could just uh, give me the WAV file, uh, if you need a place to put it, just let me know, and I'll give you access to the FTP site. And uh, I will uh, thank you so much, everyone. It was a great, great show. And uh, I will, uh, uh, I will uh, talk to you guys uh, next week, if not before. All the best.